بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين بسم الله so uh, we inshallah ta'ala today if Allah makes it easy for us we will finish bab al-mawaqid uh, there are four or five pages in my printed copy but that's only because the uh, muhaqqiq the, the commentator wrote a lot of things underneath the number of ahadith are actually uh, not very many not very many left at all so our first hadith we'll jump right into it وعن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال الشفق الحمرة رواه الدارقتني وصحح وصح وصحح ابن خزيمة وغيره وقفه from the hadith of Ibn Umar from the Prophet that he said الشفق is the redness now we know الشفق is the end of Maghrib and the beginning of Isha when the shafaq disappears in the sky this is the end of Maghrib and the beginning of Isha but people might ask what is meant by shafaq because there are two there are two for want of a better word there are two types of shafaq shafaq is light that remains in the sky after the sun has set nobody disagrees about that everybody knows that a shafaq is light that remains in the sky after the sun has set but there are two colors of that light one is white and one is red the white one happens immediately uh, at maghrib and goes away very quickly so the sun sets maghrib time starts and there remains a white light in the sky if you look where the sun is set you can see a lot of white kind of shafts coming up from where the sun was that is a shafaq al-abyad the white remaining light in the sky and because the prophet said in an earlier hadith that maghrib ends and isha begins when the shafaq disappears people might be confused does that mean when the whiteness goes out of the sky or does that mean when the redness goes out of the sky the redness disappears from the sky later than the whiteness. And this hadith, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, it explains a shafaq al-humrah. The meaning of the shafaq is the redness. And the redness remains in the sky much longer than the white, the whiteness in the sky. The whiteness in the sky maybe remains only a very short time, only a few minutes, uh, or certainly maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, it's very short. The redness remains in the sky much longer, maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half, according to the time between Maghrib and Isha in the different seasons. But there is a lot longer for the redness in the sky than the whiteness in the sky. This hadith was narrated by Al-Imam Darakutni from Abdullah ibn Umar from the Prophet However, Ibn Khuzaymah and others among the scholars of hadith said it is correct as a saying of Ibn Umar not as a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that's when they say waqf 
they mean that the hadith is correct as a statement of Abdullah ibn Umar, not as something that the Prophet wasallam said. Uh, in reality, it doesn't matter too much for us because uh, of a few reasons. Number one, it's not a major issue of disagreement, but also the fact that Abdullah ibn Umar himself said that the redness is the time. First of all, he only said that based on what he saw the Prophet do, even if the Prophet didn't say it. And also the fact that he is, his language is so pure, he's, he's one of the you know, pure Arabic speaking people who were not corrupted by other languages, then he knows the meaning of a shafaq as it was understood by the Arabs. So from a linguistic point of view, from a practical point of view, from the fact that there isn't an opposing statement from other companions, and there is no issue here with this being the statement of Abdullah ibn Umar. And this is what the Muslims act upon today, that the shafaq is the redness in the sky. And therefore Isha begins and Maghrib ends when the redness disappears out of the sky, when you can no longer see that red sort of shaft of light that remains or wisp of light that remains in the sky after Maghrib time. وعن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما أنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الفجر فجران فجر يحرم الطعام وتحل فيه الصلاة وفجر تحرم فيه الصلاة أي صلاة الصبح ويحل فيه الطعام راهم الخزيمة والحاكم وصححها from the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas عنhuma, that he said that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said there are two types of fajr. A fajr in which food is forbidden. What does it mean food is forbidden? For the fasting person. And the prayer, i.e. the fajr prayer, is permissible. And a fajr in which the fajr prayer is haram, and the narrator says meaning the Fajr prayer, the prayer is haram meaning the Fajr prayer, and food is halal, i.e. for the, for the fasting person. And that's because we know that there are two stages of Fajr, both of them are called Fajr. Fajrun kathib wa Fajrun sadiq. A deceiving Fajr, an incorrect, a false, a false dawn and a true dawn. The false dawn is a light which appears moving upwards and we're going to hear in, a, in the following hadith a description of it uh, it's a light that moves uh, vertically in the sky and then it disappears and when it disappears it leaves total darkness so it doesn't get lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter it comes up you see it vertically come straight up when you see it come vertically straight up it's not bright it's it's mix, it's a mix of light and darkness it's and you're going to hear the description in a, in a while uh, it's a mix of light and darkness and it disappears and when it disappears there is darkness this is the false dawn or the fake dawn in this time it is permissible for you to pray to hajjud it is permissible for you to eat if you are planning on fasting for the day and this also is a refutation of those people who stop eating before the Fajr Adhan. 
And this is a bid'ah, we don't know any dalil for this from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, that they have waqtul imsak, a time when you stop eating and then a time when fajr comes in. Rather, this clearly states that you eat until the fajr, the true fajr comes. And the difference between the two is around about 20 minutes to half an hour, approximately, depending on the season. In some countries, it may be different. In the Gulf, roughly, it is between 20 minutes and half an hour, there or thereabouts. When it, the, the false one comes, you continue to pray to Hajjud, you pray your Witr, but you cannot pray Fajr. When the true one comes, you can no longer eat, you can't eat anymore, and you can pray the Fajr prayer, but you can no longer pray your Tahajjud and you can no longer pray your Witr. The true one is different in many ways. Physically, it's different because it spreads from the center out, it spreads along the horizon, and it doesn't get dark after that, i.e. it doesn't disappear into darkness. It, it, it begins very subtly. It's not strong. It's not bright but it keeps on getting brighter and brighter and brighter until daylight comes. Uh, it's a mistake to think that it starts brightly. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't start like the sun, but it keeps getting brighter. Whereas the false Fajr disappears back into darkness, the true one keeps on getting brighter and brighter and brighter, and it moves horizontally along the horizon instead of vertically. And as we said, this is an evidence that with regard to food, that we keep on eating until the Adhan. The Prophet ﷺ told us that this Ummah will not cease to be in a state of good as long as they speed up the iftar. And they, they take their iftar immediately at Maghrib and they delay their suhoor. They delay their suhoor all the way until they continue eating until the Adhan of Fajr. And where the problems will come is where you see people fasting 15 minutes before the time for Fajr and breaking their fast 10 minutes after the time of Maghrib. Uh, this is something to be warned against. Further information is in the next hadith. وَلِلْحَاكِمْ مِنْ حَدِيثِ جَابِرٍ نَحْوُهُ وَزَادَ فِي الَّذِي يُحَرِّمُ الطَّعَامِ إِنَّهُ يَذْهَبُ مُسْتَطِيلًا فِي الْأُفُقِ وَفِي الْآخَرِ إِنَّهُ كَذَنَ بِالسَّرْحَانِ أو السرحان narration or this narration is found with Al-Hakim from the Hadith of Jabir and it's similar. Uh, interestingly to note, the scholars of Hadith have a couple of words they use which you should be familiar with. Mithluhu and Nahruhu. Mithluhu means it's exactly the same or almost exactly the same. Nahruhu means it's not exactly the same but the meaning is more or less the same. So Nahruhu, something with a similar meaning, and Mithluhu, something, the same, the same wording. Because bear in mind that the scholars of Hadith, every time the companion changes, they consider the Hadith to be a new Hadith. So the Hadith, مَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَيَّ مُتَعَمِّدًا فَلْيَتَبَوَّأْ مَقْعَدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ 
whoever lies about me deliberately, let him take a seat in hellfire, is not one hadith. It's many a hadith. It's narrated every time the companion changes who said it, it's a new, it's a new hadith. It's considered to be a new hadith, even though the wording is exactly the same. And then you get mithluhu, I exactly the same, and nahuhu, sort of the same. The same sort of meaning, but not maybe the same exact words. But he added to this two descriptions. In this narration of Al-Hakim from the Hadith of Jabir, there are two uh, additional descriptions. The first one regarding the one that makes the food haram, the true Fajr. Regarding the one that makes the Yuharrim uh, al-Ta'am. That it goes wide along the horizon. It lengthens along the horizon. And then the, about the other one, which is the false one, that it is like, what do you have? Do you have the wolf? It's like the? The tail of the wolf, yes. So the Sirhan is one of the names of the wolf. There are a lot of names for the wolf and the Sirhan is one of them. And the reason it's described like a wolf's tail is for two things. First of all, that the wolf's tail points straight up. And secondly, that the wolf's tail, at least the Sirhan, is a mix of white and black. It's not white, so it's not like a solid white bar, but it's like a, like speckles of white and and dark mixed with one another. And this is the false dawn. And round about somewhere roughly like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, there or thereabouts, depending on the season. In the, after that, you'll see it disappears to total darkness. You can't see any light again. And then the light starts to spread along the horizon subtly. That is the time for Fajr, and then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger until the daylight uh, time comes. So that description is a useful description. وعن ابن مسعود رضي الله عنه أنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أفضل الأعمال الصلاة في أول وقتها رواه الترمذي والحاكم وصححا وأصله في الصحيحين. From Ibn Mas'ud that he said, the Messenger of Allah said, the best of deeds is the prayer at its earliest time. It's narrated by a Tirmidhi and a Hakim, and they declare it to be authentic. Interestingly, also, just a point of interest on the topic of hadith, be careful about a Tirmidhi and a Hakim, especially a Hakim, declaring something to be authentic. A Tirmidhi, it's controversial. I mean, some of them said that Tirmidhi's authenticity was spot on and that he's falsely accused of being lenient. And there's a, there's a doctorate thesis written on this, that a Tirmidhi was, it's not valid when they said that a Tirmidhi was too easy going. And it's, uh, you know, that a Tirmidhi was, was uh, moderate in terms of uh, his authenticity of, or authentication of hadith. But Al-Hakim, no doubt about it, Al-Hakim was, uh, easy going when it came to authenticating a hadith. Now that doesn't mean it's not right. Uh, that just means when you hear that Al-Hakim declared it to be authentic, just uh, check, uh, make sure that uh, the scholars of hadith, other scholars of hadith also agree that it is authentic. And this hadith inshallah is authentic. The best of deeds is the prayer at the earliest time. 
There are two issues we need to deal with in this hadith. Both are very, one is more important than the other. Uh, if we deal with the least important, but the one that is easiest to answer first, uh, and that is how do we reconcile between this hadith and the other ahadith we have heard about the prayer, delaying the Dhuhr prayer because of the heat and delaying the Isha prayer until Al-Atama, the third, a third of the night has gone. We say that this is a hadith which is Amun, it's general, and those ahadith are khasa, they are specific. This is really important for us to understand. And Sheikh Hosan Hafidahullah, in explaining this hadith, he emphasized this that too many people, when they begin to study hadith, what do they do? They just take one hadith, and that for them is that's it, that's Islam in one hadith. Everything is there. They don't reconcile between the different ahadith, they don't join together the texts, they don't join together the ayat and understand them together. This hadith, it says it, that's it, that's my, you know, like that's all I have. And all of their actions based, are based around that one hadith that they know instead of reconciling all of the other ahadith together. And this is a problem. Uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a person acting upon what they know, but it's definitely a problem when we uh, especially young people, especially when we start learning, is we have a tendency that, you know, we, we take one ayah that we know and that's it, you know, we don't apply the other texts, we don't reconcile, we don't balance them out, we don't take the general and the specific and those things which are for everybody and those things which are limited for a specific group of people, al-mutlaq, al-muqayyid, and al-nasikh, and al-mansukh, those things which were abrogated and those things which abrogated them, we don't have any of that. We just have, I read it in Bukhari, that's it. You know? And we have to be, try to develop over time. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna discourage people. I mean, there's, it's beautiful for a person. You know, It's excellent that a person restricts themselves to what they have heard from the Prophet But also we have to be aware that what makes a person a scholar is not knowing a handful of ahadith from Bulugh al-Maram. But what makes the scholars scholars is their comprehensive knowledge of the Sharia. Their knowledge of the ayat, the ahadith, the differences, the different ways to reconcile between them, which ones of them are general, which ones of them are specific. And that is actually the definition of the scholar. If you, if you open a book of a al fiqh and you look at the definition of the mufti, the one who is qualified to give the fatwa, he's the one who has a comprehensive knowledge of the Sharia. Not that he studied Bulugh al-Maram, and he studied many, many books of hadith, the Quran with its tafsir in detail, and he knows how to reconcile between the different parts. He knows which is general and, and which is khas, specific, which is mutlaq, unrestricted, and which is muqayyid, limited to a particular circumstance or a particular group of people. He knows which is nasikh, which abrogates came later, and which is mansukh, it's abrogated. And this is something that you develop over time. You know, none of us have reached that level to date. None of us have reached that level to date. We have our scholars, we have our shiyukh. But we develop this over time. We try to encourage ourselves to develop this uh, understanding of the different ahadith and Bulugh al-Maram is a beautiful book for this because it mentions many ahadith that need reconciliation. There is no 
ta'arud, there is no contradiction in the ahadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu I believe it was Ibn Qayyim in his Nuniya, Rahimullah Ta'ala, who said, Ma bayna hadith al-Rasuli tanaqabun bal hada fil afhami wal adhani, or something along those lines, something very near to that. He said, There is no contradiction in the ahadith of the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Rather, this is in people's understanding and in people's minds. And because of our lack of understanding that we see a, uh, an area that needs to be reconciled. It's not a contradiction, it just needs to be reconciled. And there are lots of ways to reconcile. The first is al-jama'a, al-awla, al-jama'u awla. It's always better to join between the ahadith if you can. And it's sometimes very easy, you know, like the, the two ahadith are completely uh, they, they go together perfectly, they fit together perfectly, but maybe the first time you read them, you don't see that. But somebody points out to you that there's no contradiction between this and this. For example, and I, again, I'm just going to give a simple example so you understand. We haven't got to this issue yet, so we'll not open up, you know, like a, a sort of a, an area of debate. But if you look at, for example, pointing the finger in the tashahud, there is no contradiction between, for example, <coughs> moving the finger and pointing the finger. You can point the finger and you can move the finger as an example at the same time. Now we're going to come to that later, whether that's valid or not. But you see what I'm giving an example of is an example of where we might read it the first time and think it is impossible to point the finger and move the finger. But then someone comes along and says, well, you can point the finger and still move the finger as an example. Again, I'm not going to get into whether that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do or why we, those will, will come to it, inshallah. But just to give you an, an example of how you might read something and think it's not possible to join between those two and then you realize actually the two of them are not at all contradictory anyway. If you can't join between them, uh, and again, you know, you have things like the, one of them is general, one of them is specific, one of them is unrestricted, one of them is restricted to a particular group of people, then if you know the date of one of them came before the other, then you can argue that one of them was abrogated the other, one of them wiped out the ruling of the other. And you know, so on and so forth. And this is the science of Usul al-Fiqh. Uh, and it's a long and complex science, uh, made more complex by the sad introduction of philosophy to Usul al-Fiqh. Uh, usul al-Fiqh without philosophy would not be as anywhere near as difficult as it is. The reason it's so difficult is because it has been snatched and stolen by the mutakallimun, people of philosophy and rhetoric, who started putting in the most ridiculous masail that have no benefit in them, no thamara ilmiya, no action upon them, uh, and confuse people immensely. And so most ordinary people avoid usul al-fiqh like the plague, because when they open a book of usul al-fiqh, they see a whole bunch of statements which are extremely difficult to understand and the reason they're difficult to understand is because they're not from the Prophet Sallallahu nor are they from the Sahaba nor are they from the Tabi'un rather they're from Aristotle and those people who came with Aristotle and that's why what we need to do is remove these statements from the books of Usul al-Fiqh yani we need to and we have what we have but we need to in our minds go back to the Usul al-Fiqh of the Sahaba and the Tabi'un and those who followed them in good the Usul al-Fiqh of Imam al-Shafi'i Rahimahullah Ta'ala, 
who had none of this ilmul kalam inside of it and these masail that have no benefit at all you go through a third of a book of usul al-fiqh it has masail that if you understand them or you don't they don't make any difference at all to the world to the fiqh to the ruling to the hukum to anything at all they are just philosophical musings that came from aristotle and the greeks and the romans and other people and never came anywhere from islam but the point is that this science of usul al-fiqh and developing your knowledge uh, of the nuances between the hadith and when we apply something and when we don't and why we apply this hadith in this context and this hadith in this context is something everyone should be trying to develop and it's not something that comes uh, quickly i don't say by any means by any means that i'm any, i have any skill in this at all but it's something that we develop we try ourselves to encourage ourselves to understand how the scholars and appreciate that what makes the scholar is that skill and what makes the scholar is knowing the greater of the two the greater of the two goods and the lesser of the two evils as an imam shafi'i is narrated as saying that knowing the halal and the haram doesn't make a scholar knowing the halal and the haram any every beginning student of knowledge who has studied one book any more or less knows the halal and the haram to a certain extent but what makes a scholar is when you are faced with two matters both of them are haram which one do you pick when you want to know you've got a choice between two things and you don't know which one of them is better so these nuances that you develop over time and you try to encourage yourself to learn you try to encourage yourself to understand so inshallah it's clear that this is a hadith which is um it's general and there are specific cases which are specific exceptions they are from al-ahadith al-khasa specific exceptions so for example uh, they are an exception to Salatul Isha when there is no harm for the Jama'ah when it's not hard for people but if it's hard for people then this hadith goes back to the general principle that Isha at its earliest time is best but when it's not hard for people and when it's possible to delay the Isha until one third of the night approximately one third of the night then this is better so that's the exception to the general rule. Dhuhr, the best time for it is the f earliest possible time. However, when it's very hot in the summer and the sand is too hot that the camels are not sitting on the sand and they stand up, then the best time for Dhuhr is to slightly delay. That's an exception to the rule. But it doesn't stop this general hadith that the best of deeds is the prayer at its earliest time. There is one more issue we need to deal with in this and it is the, probably the more complicated issue. And that is that there are a number of ahadith which say that they are the best of deeds. Um, for example, Afwalul A'mal Al Imanu Billah. The best of deeds is believing in Allah. And the hadith Afwalul A'mal Al Jihadu Fi Sabilillah. The best of deeds is Al Jihad Fi Sabilillah. And the hadith Afwalul A'mal Al Sadaqah. The best of deeds is Sadaqah. They may not all use the same wording, Afwalul A'mal, but very similar either afdal al-a'mal or the companion said ayyul a'mali afdal which deed is best or ayyul a'mal al-afdal which action is best so we have more than four not even we can't even limit it to four we have a lot so how do we reconcile between the prophet being asked about lots of different the question many times which deed is best and him answering uh, with different deeds 
there are three, probably more than three, but there are three sort of initial ways we can start to understand this, just to open our minds. Uh, the first is to say that it is for different people, he answered different things. And this is something that is, you know, it's, it's, it's important for us to understand that Allah has created us all with certain skills and abilities. And the best thing that we can do is to take advantage of those skills and abilities for the sake of Allah. Use what Allah has given you to seek the Dar al-Akhirah. So for example, you have a man who is brave and strong and he has quick military thinking. Um, he's, you know, he, he knows how to strategize against an enemy. So this person, the best of deeds in his eyes and jihad of Allah. The second is a person who is a strong memorizer and good at gathering information uh, and good at presenting that information to other people. This person, the best of deeds is Talibul Ali. And there is a person who is not very good at memorizing and studying, but they're an abid, they're a worshiper. You know, these people, they pray every voluntary prayer that is in the sunnah. They pray Turaka after wudu, they pray Qiyam al-Layl for one, you know, third of the night. They pray their voluntary prayers, they pray Nawafil prayers. When they feel in doubt, they pray prayers. They are people who, yeah, they, they might not be great memorizers, but they are absolutely devout when it comes to their voluntary prayers and, you know, doing each of their things in the right place. Now, that's not to say that some of us don't pray, because of course we have to pray our father prayer. And if we hear the Adhan, we have to pray in the masjid. But the point is that we differ in what is easy for some of us over others. It was said to Imam Malik that he was criticized for not praying so many voluntary prayers. And it was said to him that you don't pray like I don't see you. And we're not talking about the rawatib. We're not talking about not praying after, after Isha, after Maghrib. But like, we, you know, we see some people just praying all the time. Just praying, 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 praying. And we don't see you praying, praying, praying all the time. So, you know, like, shouldn't you pray more? And he responded with something along the lines of that everybody has been made easy certain deeds for them. And each person has certain deeds that have been made easy for them. Now, that doesn't mean you say, I'm never going to pray Qiyam al-Layl because it's just not easy for me. I'm a studier. I'm a, you know, I'm a student. I'm a wealthy person who likes to give sadaqah. I'm not going to pray Qiyam al-Layl. No, of course you're going to strive for all of those things. But ultimately, the best deeds are the ones that are, for you, are the ones that are most suited to the gifts that you've been given. That is one way of understanding it. That's one way. The second way of understanding it is that it differs by time. If we take the example of a jihad fi sabilillah, jihad fi sabilillah is not available at every time in every century, in every year, in every situation, in every place, in every country. The Prophet said jihad is established until the, until the Day of Judgment. That does not mean that it is available to every Muslim in every country, in every place, and every time. There are some times when there is nothing available. And these days you have to join a, an army, an official you know, army, and that's not available to people who are not citizens of the country. 
And even when it is available, the army might not be fighting a war. So there are times when it is best when, they, when, the, the, when the ruler announces and calls for the army to come and says, we need people, come and join the army. So what is the best of deeds? Al-Jihad of Yisabillah. At this time, there is no availability for this. The ruler is not telling us to go out and, and put our arms on and go and get ready to fight. But he's telling us not to. So what is the best of deeds? As-salatu fi awwali waqtiha. The prayer the, at the earliest possible time. The time when the people are in famine, and they are desperate for, for money, they have no food, what is the best of deeds? A sadaqah. And uh, there are other ways of, uh, of looking at this hadith as well. Some is to say that, for example, uh, sadaqah is the best of deeds with regard to wealth, and jihad is the best of deeds with regard to sort of sacrificing yourself, and that prayer is the best of deeds with regard to the you know, the personal ibadat and that al-imanu billah is the best of deeds with regard to the heart. I think that the answer is probably all of them. I mean, to a certain, you know, that it's very nuanced. There are times when deeds are better than others. There are people for whom deeds are better than others. And some of these deeds are best in class. They're not best overall. They're the best out of the class that they are in. And the best thing you can do with your wealth is sadaqah. And the best thing that you can do in personal worship is salah. And the best thing that you can do in terms of, uh, you know, for example, uh, sacrificing yourself or to benefit others is a jihad fi sabillah, for example. So there, is a, there are lots and lots of ways to reconcile between afal al-a'mal, but particularly the issue of time. Because really, you see these deeds, and this is my, my personal favored one that I emphasize, is that each of these deeds has a time when it's the best. And is it the best when a foreign army enters into the country and the people are being killed left, right, and center, and the ruler is calling the people, come and, and fight. They say, I'm sorry, I, I gotta pray my dhuhr at the earliest possible time. That, this is not the best deed. Is it the best deed when people are, yani, for example, in a famine and dying of hunger, and then the person, for example, uh, says, you know, look, I'm, uh, I'm not gonna work because I'm training to make myself strong. So I can fight for the sake of Allah. I know, yani, they each, each time has its deeds. There are times when deeds are better than others, depending on the circumstances of the people. Allahu alam. But also the individual is different. Likewise, not everyone has an ability. Someone is blind, someone is old. So he cannot make jihad fi sabirillah. Someone is, uh, for example, yani poor, he cannot give sadaqah. So these ahadith are taken all together to show a picture of lots of good deeds which are the best in the sight of Allah depending on what you're able to do in, your, in the circumstances you're in and depending on what's being made easy for you as a person in your physical characteristics, in your wealth, in your circumstances. And also, no doubt, many of them can be reconciled between them. And it's not that we have to choose between sadaqah and praying early. We can pray early and give sadaqah. And no doubt the one who is the best of all is the one who is called from all eight doors of Jannah. Didn't the Prophet 
answer Abu Bakr when Abu Bakr said, O Messenger of Allah, will anyone be called from all of the gates of paradise? The Prophet said, yes, and I hope you will be one of them. And the one who is the best is the one who gathers between all of the, those deeds in their time, in their time. And so they give sadaqah, they uh, pray their salah at the earliest possible time. At each time they have an opportunity to do one of those deeds, they do it in the right way, under the right circumstances. Uh, suffice it for that hadith, inshallah ta'ala. وعن أبي محرورة رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أول الوقت رضوان الله وأوسطه رحمة الله وآخره عفو الله أخرجه دار قطني بسند ضعيف جدا. From Abi Mahrura, Abu Mahrura was the muaddin of the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم in Mecca, and uh, he continued to give the adhan in Mecca until he died. رضي الله عنه. He gave the adhan in 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 Mecca and his Iqama was different to the Iqama of Bilal uh, and both of them are authentic. I mean both of the both of the two Iqamas, the one that is similar to the Adhan and the one that is shorter than the Adhan, both of them are authentic inshallah as we will come to in the, the chapter of the Adhan. So there is no haraj which of them you use and if you make your Iqama half the length of the Adhan with the addition of Qadqamat Salah, or you make the Iqama the whole length of the Adhan with the addition of Qadqamat Salah, both of them are authentic. But in any case, Abi Mahrura, Abu Mahrura was one of the companions who uh, was the, who gave the Adhan for the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu He had a beautiful voice and he became Muslim Am al-Fatih on the year of the conquest of Mecca. So in this hadith, he said, the Prophet Sallallahu said, the beginning of the time is the pleasure of Allah and the middle of it is the mercy of Allah and the end of it is Allah overlooking and Allah like forgiving you. The forgiveness of Allah, Afwa is not really forgiveness, like overlooking it, you know, like letting it go, basically letting it pass. And it's narrated by Darakutani with a chain that is extremely weak. A chain that is extremely weak, Aslani, is not life tajubi. So it's not, it's not uh, acceptable to use as a proof. Yes, if the hadith is, has a mild weakness and another hadith comes with a mild weakness, you can say so. But if the hadith is da'if and jiddan, then its presence is like its absence. But were the hadith to be authentic, then it would be in evidence uh, also for the previous hadith that we heard that the best uh, of deeds is praying at the earliest possible time because the ridwan of Allah wa ridwanu min Allahi akbar the Ridwan of Allah, the, the pleasure of Allah is the greatest uh, of those things. Then, of course, the mercy of Allah, letting it go, you know, like even if you don't pray, just pray in the middle time. And then even if you don't pray, you know, if you pray at the end, then Allah overlooks it. And bear in mind what we said about the two times of Asr. Uh, this hadith would not include the two times of Asr. Uh, the, the, the second time of Asr is sinful if you, if you delay the Asr prayer into that time. Uh, but in any case, the hadith is the hadith is ضعيف جدا. وللترمذي من حديث ابن عمر نحوه دون الأوسط وهو ضعيف أيضا. The hadith of of a Tirmidhi is similar to it, but it doesn't have the mention of the middle. The middle of it is the mercy of Allah. It says the beginning of it is the pleasure of Allah, and the end of it is Allah overlooking. And in any case, this hadith is also ضعيف جدا.
and it contains Ya'qub uh, uh, ibn al-Walid and he is Munkar and it's said that he is Kathab. Uh, it's said that he lied about the Prophet Sallallahu and it's said that he uh, was extremely, extremely weak. So neither of these two ahadith have any uh, strength in terms of evidence uh, at all. But in general, I mean, the, the meaning of it uh, is generally or roughly in accordance with the earlier hadith that we heard. Uh, but we, since we have the earlier hadith, we have no need of these uh, two ahadith which are extremely weak. وعن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا صلاة بعد الفجر إلا سجدتين أخرجه الخمسة إلا النسائي From Ibn Umar رضي الله عنهما the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said there is no prayer after fajr except for two rakaat and this is narrated by the five except al-nasai and in the last one uh, in a wording وفي رواية عبد الرزاق لا صلاة بعد قلوع الفجر إلا ركعتي الفجر ومثله للدار قتني عن ابن عمر عن ابن عمر ابن العاص عن عبد الله ابن عمر ابن العاص we probably will touch upon this hadith next time because there are some more issues in it but we'll just like just for the sake of completing the chapter we'll cover just for a few minutes just the basics inshallah uh, there are two wordings one is there is no prayer after fajr except for two rakah and one is there is no prayer after fajr time starts except for the two rakah of fajr meaning the the two Sunnah prayers before Fajr. And similar is narrated from Adar al Qatni uh, from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al As. And we've got more issues to deal with in that. Issues of whether you can make up the Sunnah prayers after the obligatory prayers uh, and um, issues regarding Fajr. We did mention this issue, we alluded to it. Is it the case that the Nafil prayer stops at the Fajr Adhan or the Nafil prayer stops at the Fajr prayer? We spoke about this previously. Does the does the nafil prayer stop at the fajr adhan or the fajr prayer? Meaning, can you pray tahajjud and witr until the fajr adhan or until the fajr prayer? Or if I want to pray two rakah nafila just for the sake of Allah, can I pray it after the fajr adhan or I have to pray it before the fajr adhan? This is something, inshallah, we will talk about next time in some more detail. Uh, the first hadith indicates that it is the Fajr time and the Fajr Adhan. As soon as the Adhan for Fajr goes, the only thing you can pray is the two rak'ah before Fajr, the Sunnah prayers. And this is the second hadith, sorry. The first hadith indicates that it is the uh, Fajr prayer itself. Uh, although it has an issue of it, of what two prayers do you pray afterwards? Is it making up the Sunnah prayers? And this is going to be something we will deal with next time because it's too long to deal with now, inshallah. But more or less, we've finished uh, that bab. I'm going to start Bab al Adhan, the chapter of the Adhan, inshallah, next week. So, this is just a little conclusion. We'll finish it in 10 15 minutes next week and then we'll finish Bab al Adhan, inshallah. Jazakumullahu khayran wa barakallahu feekum. Wallahu alam wa salatu salam ala bin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.